This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome back to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast, where we help take your leadership to the next level. My name is Sam, and I'm joined by Dr. Richard Blackaby. That's right. Good to be with you, Sam. It's good to have you. I don't don't say that too often, but you are a doctor <laughs> after all. So that's, uh, you know, every once in a while, I'll throw you that. Um, if you're uh, new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, if you've been around for a while, from the beginning even, uh, then you know that uh, every once in a while we do a book review. Yeah. And now is one of those once in a whiles. And uh, this uh, this month's, or this book at least, is uh, called Originals by Adam Grant. Can you tell us a little bit about why we picked this book? It was actually a book that we did in our own book club. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, We've mentioned this uh, book club before, but uh, I've got several kids and kid-in-laws working with us. Uh, I've got a son, a daughter, a son-in-law, uh, and two sons. Uh, then another son, I guess it's in Canada. But we uh, started this several years ago where we'll just find a book that we all think would be interesting uh, to read and to stretch us in some way. And then we all read it. And then uh, I, I we order in lunch and, and we discuss it. And uh, now my oldest son moved 2,800 miles away. But uh, we just uh, FaceTime him in. Yeah. Said, said he his, doesn't get the food, but he... Yeah, I, we feel bad sometimes. Uh, I don't. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we put his, uh, his laptop... More food for us. Where... Where he would normally be sitting, and then he's fully engaged as well, and we have a great, great discussion. And, yeah, uh, they're lots of fun. And so, uh, I, I'd, I'd encourage uh, our listeners find find three or four people and uh, just read books together. It's you know we all read other books on our own, but uh, but then it's just fun to also tackle one and then get other people's perspective on yeah. what stood out to them. You and know, so I on. think this can be something that you can do if you're not already doing it with perhaps your leadership team in your organization, or yeah. if you do it with um, you're just your peers, maybe outside of your organization. Yeah. I think either way or both or whatever uh, would be a great way to just sort of stretch you a little bit to think outside the box some. Um, and, and I, you uh, know, and to even, get that diversity of opinions as well. And when we started this, I'm not sure that uh, any of you guys work with me, but you were just my family, my kids. And yeah. so I think we we started out just with my my sons and daughter, and then you joined in, uh, just just saying, let's just read a book together. And I I'll just tell you as well as a as a baby boomer in a book club with everyone else as a millennial. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of fun just to get that millennial perspective on things. It helps me kind of get a different viewpoint and just, it's just fun as a dad, uh, in a book club with a bunch of his kids. So, uh, I, I, I encourage you, you might just consider that Throw out a book. It could be one, a Christian theme book or like this one's a secular book. Uh, but, um, it, it's been a lot of fun. So yeah. this, this book came out of that, uh, and so, uh, so Sam, it's got a, a lot of application to leadership. Yeah, for sure. And it's called. It's by Adam Grant, as you said, called Originals. The subtitle is "How Nonconformists Move the World," and uh, it, it's he's really looking at people that are entrepreneurial, that are uh, founding new movements or companies or services or products, uh, and he kind of looks at why is it that some people seem to be so spectacularly successful at creating new things, new products. Uh, and then they end up 
making lots of money, selling lots of products, building a big company. And other people keep trying to find that elusive product uh, or service or whatever it is. And uh, they just never seem good at it or successful. Mm. And uh, so he, he takes a, a look. And it's interesting. Uh, he begins, he, this uh, Adam Grant was a professor and actually had, th- I think, four students approach him that wanted to start a company. And they were kind of inspired by his teaching. And they, they offered to have him in, uh, invest in it at, at, at the foundation of it. But he, but he as he kind of tells in the beginning of the book, uh, turned them down. Much to his later regret, yeah, uh, because he said they didn't the things he thought were necessary to be successful. He didn't see in them. Uh, for instance, these four guys, they all had other jobs, and and he kind of felt like, hey, if you're going to make a new product, new company successful, you got to all you got to be all in. You can't be right. one foot in the water, one foot out. And so uh, he they then they had I think co CEOs and. He felt like, no, you, you got to really have this one dominant, visionary, compelling, charismatic founder, entrepreneurial type that just sort of drives everything with his charisma. And they don't have that. And, and, and so he kind of went down the checklist of what he thought you need to have to be someone who's a compelling leader that creates something new. And they didn't have it. And so he passed on investing in them. And then they became fabulously successful and Mm. he's regretted that ever since. And so, uh, it seems that that helped become an impetus for him to say, well, what does it take to be successful? Right. And, uh, and there's several things that I think he, he mentions that are interesting. Now, as far as originality, he, he has this definition. He says, it's taking the road less traveled, championing a set of novel ideas that go against the grain, but ultimately make things better. So to be a written now, he, he goes on to say nothing is completely original. Right. Everybody's stealing from the Greeks or the Romans or someone <laughs> earlier on. But uh, yeah. but taking that and then uh, finding something new. And of course, when people do that so often, you know, after they invent some new uh, invention, people will think, uh, why? Well, you know, I, I thought about that, or I always wondered about yeah. that, or that's such a common thing. I don't know. I, or why, or why, did why I, didn't I think of that? Yeah, it's like when now. When you see that product that you didn't even know that you needed. Yeah, you and know, then you say, well, why did he think of that? Why didn't I think of that? And so he kind of unpacks that. There's an interesting, uh, and he, what I like about books like this uh, is that he cites a number of studies uh, that sort of reflect on human nature in different ways. And uh, one of the studies that was interesting is a study of customer service agents that he mentions early on. And he says uh, that when people would call for needing help and so on, uh, he said they they discovered kind of uh, interestingly enough that uh, if 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 they just ask what what is your internet explorer or your you know your search engine that you use is it internet uh, in Microsoft Internet Explorer is it uh, uh, Safari that uh, that that Apple promotes yeah. or is it Firefox and Chrome and of course Firefox and Chrome are not the ones promoted by the big the Microsoft yeah. or Apple. They don't come default on your computer. Yeah, they don't come default. And so I thought that was interesting that those who did not use the default uh, search engine actually made much, much better uh, 
uh, customer service agents because they didn't stick with the default. They didn't just take what was given to them and say, okay, well, I'll have to search with this. It, It wasn't so much that the other search engines were better. It just it just reflected uh, a willingness to try new things, yeah. uh, to to break out of the norm. It's not like, well, I've got a Microsoft computer and it comes with Internet Explorer, so that's just what I'll use. Uh, they were searching, they were questioning, they were wondering, well, maybe this will be better, and they found yeah. that uh, people that, that that did not use the default search engine were 19% less likely to miss work. Uh, they hmm. they enjoyed their work more. And the, the response from customers was much, much higher as well. Uh, and, and, you know, you, 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 you read that and you think, well, I would never think that. I would, I would never think that if I was interviewing someone for a job and I wanted someone that, that had initiative and creativity and was a self-starter, an interesting question might be, what's, this, what's your preferred search engine that you use? A simple, yeah. a simple question like that can show you here's someone willing to like go out of the norms and try new things, and uh, and yet someone else perhaps just says, well, this is you know this is what they gave me, and uh, I'll just use that. So that that was interesting to me, and um, and and he, they say several things in this this book that I, I felt were interesting. For instance, he kind of along that line. He, well, he says the starting point is curiosity. Yeah. Are you curious or are you just satisfied just to take what's given to you? Uh, and uh, but he also says some things, for instance, like um, child prodigies. You, you, you tend to look at a child prodigy and say this this kid's brilliant. They're, they're head and shoulders smarter than all their peers. So I would expect that they'll be very creative because they've got all this brain power. But they said that actually child prodigies tend to not be creative because they're so good at doing what all the adults do and what what's yeah. they're good at learning what they're being taught and so for instance uh, he, he has a statement practice may make perfect but it doesn't make something new and mm. to become a prodigy means you're like in piano or violin it means you're practicing 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 but you're not creating you're just you're pra- you're you're rehearsing what's already what someone been else done. has already made, and yeah. so you're really good at reproducing what other what, what you know regurgitating what's given to you. But that doesn't mean that you're good at, at creating anything new. Just memorizing and learning what others have done, and so you you sort of think, well, that's counterintuitive a little bit. But um, it also now he he says that the the very word entrepreneur means bearer of risk. And so we tend to think, again, I guess my stereotype of an entrepreneur is someone who's a risk taker, daring, willing to kind of roll the dice and, you know, go for broke. Uh, right. Either, either this will be a great breakthrough or else uh, or else I'll lose everything. And uh, you, you, that's sort of the picture you have is they're not afraid to take risks and, yeah. you know, pay the price and if, if it doesn't work they out. They jump and then learn how to fly on the way down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, Grant actually says that his studies have shown that uh, while a, an entrepreneur obviously has to take risks to try something new, they may, they may be taken out a loan from the bank to borrow money uh, to start their company. But then he said what they'll tend to do, that now he says the foolish ones are all in. I mean, they quit their job, they sell their house, they put all their money into their company, and then if it goes south, they lose everything. They're destitute. But he said the the more successful entrepreneurs, they'll have to take a risk. So they may take out a loan from the bank, but then they won't quit their job. 
yeah. uh, they'll 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 continue to have a source of income while their their new company is is having time to start making profits. And uh, he gives another a, a number of examples of of companies that ultimately were very successful, but the founders didn't just go for broke. They they sort of hedged their bets and. Uh, and along with that, uh, he, he said that, that many of the companies that have done uh, the best have been pe- companies that had co-CEOs. And again, you don't, that's kind of counterintuitive. You sort of think, well, you got to have this larger than life person like a Steve Jobs who right. has to be in charge and he's going to drive the direction and so on. But, uh, but he would say w- when you have two CEOs, you've got twice the uh, creativity, cr- twice the problem-solving alertness. Uh, there's yeah. two pairs of eyes watching for problems instead of just one. Uh, you know, two pairs of eyes and two people that both feel the full weight of making sure this is successful, not just one person. Um, and perhaps a little cautionary sometimes voice when one might be ready to go and another wants to say, well, let's think about this. And uh, and so again, it's, uh, it's one of those things where you, you wouldn't think it that way and and really the whole book is about how you know we we stereotype these ultra uber sort of creative people that just are driven by this passionate vision and throw everything caution to the wind and go for it yeah but uh, there's a whole lot of people that have ended up in failure that we don't ever we've never heard about because they they did that that. yeah Uh, well i think this is a good place to take a quick break and when we come back We will dive in a little bit deeper to Originals by Adam Grant. Whether at home, on the job, or in the ministry, we can all have a greater impact on the world around us for the kingdom of God. Join Richard Blackaby at the Billy Graham Training Center at The Cove to learn about increasing your spiritual influence on April 6th through the 8th, 2020. Space is limited, so register soon at the link in the show notes. So Richard, like you said uh, before the break, you know this this book originals kind of runs in the face of of our stereotypes of of entrepreneurs and and creative individuals you know a lot of what he talks about is is uh sort of hedging their their bets and and balancing their risk portfolio as it were so they're mm-hmm. not necessarily going all in to start a a new company but they're they're you know dipping a toe in seeing how it goes you know without losing their their regular income as an example uh, what are some other things that stood out to you uh, in this book as it pertains to leadership? Uh, well, you know, one of the things uh, as well is that we tend to think of uh, people who who uh, create great companies or great products as someone having this brilliant idea, and they just it, one day it just strikes them, you know, and so they they invent this product that becomes wildly successful. But but he said actually most of the people who were some of the most famous inventors had far more duds than they had successes. Yeah. Like Thomas Edison had, you know, many, many patents, but only a handful that he's actually famous for. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so he says sometimes, uh, the, the secret to, uh, uh, success is actually the, the volume. The, he says quantity is the most predictable path to quality. Uh, if you just mm-hmm. if you produce enough, and and what he would say is oftentimes the first couple of things that you come up with aren't that good, and they're, they're certainly not radically different than what already exists. He, he right. says we we tend to start out with things. Uh, he says our first ideas are typically our most conventional and the closest to the default that already exists. And so he says you you got to keep on inventing for a while, and you keep on experimenting, and and the the longer you do that, the more 
farther afield you go with with creativity and new things and, more novel uh, they become yeah and he uh he says uh, some interesting things also about uh, along that line then he says so don't be too quick uh, to to go to print or don't you know don't don't go and and put your product out too quickly in fact he says sometimes procrastination is actually a good thing um, I could see where it's not always a good thing, especially if, you, if once you've got a good product ready to go. But he says a lot of times people are onto something and they have a good idea, but it's not fleshed out enough yet. They haven't pr- yeah. solved enough of its glitches yet. And so sometimes, but, but we're so concerned about the competition coming out and being first. You know, a lot of times it is good to be first because you, you become known for that product, even though three other competitors come out with a similar product later. But he says sometimes, uh, actually, if you are thinking about an issue and and then you put it off for a little bit, you don't you know you you don't just wrap it up yet. Uh, you let it kind of hang there. He said there's uh, I think it's uh, I think it's called the Zygarnik effect, which means if if there's a task that's left unfinished, you actually remember it better than a task that's finished. Yeah. And so he kind of says if if you've got this lingering issue before you and you're letting it soak and you're marinating in it and thinking about it and putting it off and say, I'm not going to decide yet. Um, oftentimes you end up coming up with a better product and one with fewer glitches and errors and mistakes. And, uh, and he says, so sometimes it's actually even wise to let a competitor be first, let them find out where the landmines are, let them have the huge cost overruns because they didn't anticipate this issue or this lawsuit and let them kind of iron that out. And then you come in with a much better product. I like his quote. He said, uh, it's true that the early bird gets the worm, but we can't forget that the early worm gets caught. (laughs) And, uh, so I I thought that was interesting. He says timing accounted for 42% of the difference between success and failure. Yeah. So you might've been onto a good idea, but you just, you did it too soon. And we've talked about that before. The success of leadership often is in timing. You can do something too late or too early, Yeah. but the really successful people are the ones who do it at just the right time for maximum impact. And he, he says a couple other things that are interesting. Uh, one, I, I did think uh, I, I'm always kind of intrigued by is the whole area of uh, birth order. Right. And he says that, uh, it, again, it seems a little bit counterintuitive, but and he looks at something like uh, baseball players, professional baseball players, and he, he says looking at something like trying to steal a base. Uh, of course, that's a risk. That's that, that's. Uh, risk taking. You, you try to steal a base, you can get thrown out and uh, be put, be put out of that uh, that inning. But um, he said that actually uh, the the like firstborns, as we know, tend to be more responsible. They tend, uh, in many ways, to go to leadership. Uh, they they tend to be overachievers when it comes to things like academics. So. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at like, um, if you've got three or four kids, maybe they're all boys, and the firstborn uh, statistically may be do the best in school uh, because he's, of course, the firstborn's closest, most identifies with the parents and the establishment and so on. But uh, And so they tend to also go into management and that kind of thing. But, uh, but he says that uh, uh, it's the younger siblings, especially the youngest one, that is uh, 10.6 times more likely to take the risk of stealing a base, for instance. So if you've got a, first, a firstborn child and a thirdborn child both playing baseball, 
the younger child is 10 times more likely to try to steal a base than the firstborn child. Yeah. Firstborn is thinking about, oh, if I go out, it'll cost the team and the ending will end and, you know, better play it safe. But they, and he, and he goes into a lot of the reasons why, um, younger peep kids in the birth order are more willing to take risks. Uh, and he says over time, they, they will also move into management and uh, maybe later, but, uh, the lot, the older they get, the less impactful the birth order will become in that yeah. regard. Uh, and so I'm always kind of intrigued by that. I'm a firstborn. Uh, and so I, I think I kind of carry the stereotype fairly closely of a firstborn male yeah. child. But yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I had not thought as much about uh, the younger ones. Uh, and again, in a sense, because a lot of, of creativity comes down to risk taking. Yeah. Taking a chance to, instead of just going with what is already there, uh, being willing to say, maybe this could be better, you know, uh, let's try something different that's never been done before. And, uh, and so I think, uh, you know, our listeners, some of them are probably the kind of people that just as soon play it safe. And if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, you know, this is how I've always done it. Let's just keep on doing it this way. But then there are some leaders that are always looking at how things could be better. You know, why do we have to do it this way? just because it's always been done this way, is there a better way to get it done? And uh, Yeah, I like he talks about challenging the status quo and, and you know, not uh, necessarily just accepting the way things are as, as the way things have to continue to be. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I found that very fascinating. Another thing that uh, stood out to me was um, just the, the, uh, the effect that, uh, that you mentioned this earlier, but the effect of procrastination, yeah. uh, but also the effect of dabbling in, in different areas that aren't necessarily, you know, your field of expertise and how that can help inform, you know, the thing that you do well. Yeah. And, and he, he points out oftentimes it's people that are involved in the arts, even if they're scientists. Yeah. The fact that they have hot, they, they spend time in the arts uh, actually helps them think more creativity, even when it's to do with like a scientific kind of thing. You know, uh, something else uh, too that uh, I thought was quite interesting, and certainly applies to parenting, was that uh, they said there, there there's some, if you're trying to raise creative kids, problem solving, entrepreneurial type kids, they said uh, that what they found is the, when, when they found a very creative entrepreneurial kind of person, when they were children, their parents, the home they grew up in, uh, tended to have few rules, whereas the less creative kids had lots of rules. Hmm. They, if, if a child has grown up being told everything they're supposed to do, uh, there's not a lot of space left for them to, uh, to come up and, and figure it out for themselves. They just do what they're told. But if you've got a handful of rules, then that leaves more, the onus is on you. Okay, so what am I gonna do? I've got all this freedom. Uh, only a few things I can't do. That means there's a lot of things potentially I could do. So if you want to raise kids who are creative and entrepreneurial and problem solving, uh, give them as much freedom as possible. But also I thought there was an interesting uh, thing he also said, and that is children that uh, tended uh, to to buck the the trends uh, and uh, to to stand out perhaps and do the right thing were, were kids that... Uh, you know, when it, when a child, for instance, when they share, when it, when you've got a little a, a preschooler and he shares with his little sister, 
there's two ways you can respond to that. One is uh, to say, Billy, good for you. Uh, it, it's good to share. You shared yeah. with your sister and sharing is sharing good is and good. You, you shared. So, so that's great. Uh, you know, and, and that's what we tend to do is we, we highlight the activity. Right. Billy, the action is. Yeah. Billy just That was a shared. good thing. So let's, let's praise him for sharing. But, but a great, a better way he says is when Billy shares with his little sister to say, Billy, you just shared with your sister. You are such a thoughtful, kind, generous person. But I've just seen this in you over and over again. When you see someone in need, you just are such a generous person. Uh, and and so the, what they say, of course, is the difference between that is one is just praising an action. The other is praising a character. Yeah. And if you focus on children's character, then, then they realize, well, I am that kind of person. And if I am a generous person, I'm going to always be generous. If I just got praise now and then when I do the right thing, well, now and then when I... When it's convenient, I think I can afford to. I'll I'll do that again. But uh, that doesn't mean I'm that. I, I, that's who I am. It just means that now and then I do good things. Yeah, it was connecting their identity to to that uh, that action as well, saying that you know, not just that you do this, but like this is the kind of person that you are. Yeah, um, yeah. So you're you are a. It's a character trait, not just an action. It's who. It's your identity, and so. Again, I thought that was interesting as you're parenting. And of course, you know, when you've got kids, you don't want them to get in lots of trouble. And uh, and I've known parents that felt like, well, let's just surround our kids with uh, a, a lot of different rules so that they don't get into trouble. But uh, but if, you, if you're not careful, you'll stifle their creativity and uh, they'll yeah. just become conformists. In fact, Grant says an interesting thing. He says usually the most creative uh, entrepreneurial type people uh, were not the teacher's pets in school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were typically viewed as trouble, the ones who kept pushing the limits all the time. Yeah. And it's interesting because we often see kids that are always obedient, always follow the rules, always please the parents. And then when they become adults, suddenly they they become derelicts and they, they, they become drug addicts. And, and we look at that and we think, how on earth did that happen? That they, they were such good kids growing up. They always followed the rules. Uh, they always did the right thing. Why is it that when they got older, suddenly what what happened to them? It's like yeah. they <laughs> became demon possessed or something. It's 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 not the same child that I knew. But but the reality is that they were people pleasers, and when they were children, they just sought to please their parents because that was the the greatest influence in their life. But they went to college and they started trying to please their roommate and their college friends. And they were doing drugs. They were having big uh, parties they were going to. And so uh, they, they, they had never learned how to push back on things or to sort of take a stand for what they thought was right. They just always went along with the prevailing custom and, and uh, activity that was going on. And so they're still doing that. And sometimes the kids who kept pushing back in school and kept questioning things and questioning their parents, and they were seen as rebels, as children, and why can't you just do what you're told? You know, why do you have to always ask why? You know, why do you have to push back and try it your way instead of just doing it the way we've always done it? And th- these kids are viewed as trouble when they're younger, but oftentimes when they grow up, you discover that's because they just don't like being given the answer. They they want to work it out themselves and they, they feel innately that there's a better way to do this and yeah. they want to discover what it is. So 
you know, you may have a child right now that's that way, that's uh, <laughs> giving you grief or a student that is uh, constantly pushing back and doesn't just accept the answer because yeah. you said so. Uh, don't be too disheartened by that because they may actually be the, the, the folks who create the new products and services and, and uh, ministries and so on in the future because they weren't satisfied just to take the default, but uh, to say, I think there's something better. And uh, certainly in the day in which we live, we need to be developing people who are problem solvers, yeah. who, who say, well, instead of complaining about how things are, why couldn't we make them better? Maybe there's a product we come up with or a new service or activity that would, would make things, make the church better. So uh, uh, we need to be doing everything we can in our own staff, with ourselves, and certainly with the kids we raise to, to be helping nurture them so that they are creative people that just might create something original that ultimately makes the world a better place. Well, it's a great book. Highly recommend it uh, for anyone who's who's leading in any capacity, uh, even yourself. Yeah, uh, it helps you, I think, think better and think differently uh, about the world around you. And uh, we'd love to hear what your thoughts were on it. If you uh, read it along with us, or if you're going to read it in the future, drop yeah, maybe us, join our reading club. Yeah, drop us read a line. Yeah, podcast at blackbeauty org and uh for the next book we we try we don't always do this but we try to let you know in advance uh the next book is called ego is the enemy by ryan holiday and so in probably about a month's time we're going to open that up and uh, see how it can help us be better leaders and uh until next time thanks for listening to the podcast if this is something you enjoyed it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on apple podcasts or wherever you listen don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends we always love hearing from our listeners so email us at podcast at blackv.org